From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. If you've ever been pulled over for driving two or three miles over the speed limit, you may have been subject to taxation by citation. Local governments enforcing rules and fees, not for public safety, but to generate revenue. A recent study of taxation by citation in Georgia finds that short-term boost to city coffers can have long-term costs to citizen morale. We're joined by a co-author of that study to help us understand the tricky tickets and fees. Jennifer McDonald, Senior Research Analyst for the Institute for Justice. That's a nonprofit libertarian public interest law firm joining us from NPR in Washington. Jennifer, welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so how'd I do? That's my understanding of taxation by citation. What would you add to that? Uh, You've got it pretty well. Um, You know, taxation by citation occurs when governments use their power to enforce municipal code ordinances out of a desire to raise revenue rather than out of a desire to protect public safety. So how would you define governments that are doing it excessively? The cities that we studied in our report are uh, excuse me, are pursuing these minor violations quite aggressively. Mm-hmm. So their percentage that they're getting from fines and fees of their revenues is considerably higher than other similar cities in Georgia. Um, our cities, you know, raised between 14 and 25 percent of their total revenues from fines and fees alone between 2012 and 2016, whereas cities of similar size throughout Georgia averaged about 3 percent. And the cities you looked at, Clarkston, Morrow, and Riverdale. So why highlight these three in particular? How much revenue are they getting compared to other cities? And and how are they doing it? Uh, Clarkston, Morrow, and Riverdale appeared on a kind of top list of worst offenders for generating a substantial amount of their revenues through fines and fees. And this list was originally conducted by the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights when they started looking into this issue in the wake of the riots in Ferguson, Missouri, a few years ago. So we identified these cities as, you know, taking this high percentage and then also looked into Georgia state law and found that you've really got the perfect environment for taxation by citation in Georgia. And that's because Georgia state law allows municipalities to run and fund their own municipal courts. So all of a sudden you've got law enforcement and a judicial system that need to fund themselves from the very activities that they conduct. Um, So there's kind of a perverse incentive there to issue as many citations as you can in order to raise enough revenue to run your department. Are there characteristics of those three cities and others that make a lot of revenue off of taxation by citation that make it more likely to fall into this pattern? You mentioned the judicial, but the maybe the demographics. Sure. Um, all three of the cities that we looked at are on the outskirts of Atlanta. They are all uh, lower income than average, which means they already have a smaller tax base. And so that creates more pressure on their budgets. Um, they also have higher percentages of minority populations. So when you combine these kind of disadvantaged communities that are working and low income, uh, it's more difficult to fight the citations that you're receiving, right? Mm -hmm. Why take off work to fight a $100 ticket when you could just pay it and move on? Um, And so it just kind of creates an opportunity for these cities to run rampant when it comes to these citations. 
So the image of, you know, a small town police officer sitting next to a a quick change in the speed limit is a common one. That's been around for a long time. Is this happening more and more often? In our studies that we looked at, the revenues from fines and fees peaked in 2012, which makes sense because that's around the time that the economy started recovering from the 2008 financial crisis. So we see this kind of direct relationship between economic health and pursuing fines and fees. The problem is once you once these cities, you know, use fines and fees to balance their budgets, even as there becomes less pressure on the economy, this, you know, system of using fines and fees to help generate municipal revenue, it's hard to get rid of it. It mm-hmm. just becomes baked in. Mm-hmm. Um so it, you know, we'd see it probably going up and down cyclically with the economy, but right now we'll see. They're down around uh, between 10 and 15 percent now. So what are examples of how this plays out? More policing, more motor vehicle stops? What are some of the other fines and fees or methods for getting more revenue? In addition to those minor traffic citations, we do see a lot of municipal code enforcement, which usually has to do with the aesthetics of your property. So we see tickets for things like overgrown grass in the front yard or maybe cracks in your driveway or maybe a little too much storage uh, in your carport. And so it's these things that might not look so great, you know, it has a little uh, lower curb appeal than might be ideal, but it's not anything that's actually posing, you know, risk to public safety. I'm speaking with senior research analyst Jennifer McDonald from the Institute of Justice, and we're discussing her work and contributions to a report into high rates of tickets and fees from Georgia cities like Clarkston, Morrow, and Riverdale. It's called Taxation by Citation. So that's where municipalities, rather than focusing on public safety, impose fees to help help sort of support their local revenue. And there are some powerful incentives here, but it's not as if city leaders are twirling their mustaches or, you know, thinking, let's make money off of our citizens. And and I don't imagine anyone becomes a police officer to write tickets all day. But what are the effects on communities? What did your report find on how all this increasing reliance on fines affects them? We found that individuals who received citations in the last year from their, you know, their local governments, they have uh, significantly lower trust in their police departments to do what's right for them, in their courts to do what's right for them, and in their city governments. And so you have this erosion of, you know, cooperation and trust within the community that can have, you know, long lasting effects. You and your colleagues spent time in Georgia conducting your research and speaking with some locals. What did you take away from those conversations? In talking to the locals, I think the the thing that really stuck with me is when the locals would explain how they thought that, you know, police and prosecutors were using fines and fees as a revenue generator. So I talked to one gentleman who said, you know, they... They just really want to hit you in the pocketbook. You know, it just keeps coming. And so that was a a pretty regular thing that we heard. Um, You know, obviously there was a lot of frustration of individuals who were in the courtrooms there to fight their tickets. And so it was pretty easy to see that, you know, these systems have some knock-on effects that might be higher cost than 
not having the fines and fees revenue at all. There's a specific case in Doraville. Your client, Hilda Brucker, ended up facing surprise fees over her driveway. What stands out about her case? I think what really stands out about Hilda's case is that she had lived in Doraville for 25 years, and those cracks in her driveway had been there when she bought the house. And so it was interesting to her that, you know, all of the sudden this was becoming a problem. You know, why am I all of a sudden getting this ticket? Um, and so, you know, that shows that all of a sudden the city is paying attention because they probably are looking for a way to generate more revenue. But, you know, there is a case with a cracked driveway. There is a public safety case to be made there that you may not get with tall grass, that somebody could be walking along there and fall in one of the cracks and hurt themselves. I mean, what? how do you balance the some of these are public safety regulations for a reason to help prevent lawsuits, for example, and others are just excessive? Where do you draw the line? We, when we were doing our field work down in Georgia in these cities, we looked at all of these different code violations along, um, you know, that we, we had seen. And so, and we graded them, you know, on a one to five scale between, you know, purely aesthetic to posing serious health and safety risks. And the majority of the violations that we observed were barely kind of moderately risky. And so you might see things like a crack driveway, but in Hilda's case, we're not talking about massive cracks that someone can step in and twist an ankle. We're talking about, you know, really just purely aesthetic looking cracks throughout the concrete. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure out, you know, what really poses uh, a risk to public safety is something that, you know, there's some discretion involved in that. But I think the majority of the aesthetic things that we saw, you know, pretty much everybody would agree that that's not going to, you know, cause anybody to hurt themselves. Since your report has come out, some of the cities have responded. Here is city manager of Clarkston, Robin Gomez, speaking with Eleven Alive about the report. In Clarkston, we've, we've gone through significant changes. And now that their data that they are sending out now is... It, it, although it is accurate data, and that's what did happen, it's, there have been significant changes, especially in the last four years, where the number of citations and tickets issued and the corresponding revenue have drastically declined. What happens to somebody who cannot pay these fees? If individuals are not able to pay these fees, and this isn't, you know, you have 30 days to pay, it's when you go to court, can you pay this ticket by Friday? So we're talking about having to come up with a significant amount of cash on a relatively short notice. Um, the judges do offer the option that individuals be put on probation. And what happens is there are private probation companies that are contracted with the city who will accept kind of a monthly payment plan from this individual if they can't afford to make that payment all at once. The problem with that is these companies charge pretty high uh, fees, you know, a percentage kind of like your your credit card interest rate. Mm -hmm. And so individuals who have, you know, a $250 ticket might, might end up paying upwards of $1,000 by the time they're done. Mm -hmm. This is happening all over the country, but this did come to the fore after Michael Brown was shot by police in Ferguson, Missouri. You mentioned Ferguson earlier. All the focus on municipal governments in St. Louis, all this focus came onto this municipal government in St. Louis, uh, quote, treating their citizens as nothing more than ATM. So using police to write as many citations as possible. Obviously, a very tragic turn in Ferguson, uh, one of the underlying factors that led to the Black Lives Matter movement. 
they did move to cap those those fees in 2015. But how about the citizens in Georgia where you studied? Were people pushing back? Were municipalities or local governments pushing back and fighting these fees in court? I think, you know, there are some people who go to court to try and, you know, fight the fee. But we saw guilty verdicts in 97% of the cases that we observed. Um, what we saw was municipal courts that operate like well-oiled machines. You know, everybody gets maybe a minute of time with the judge. Um, there's not an opportunity to say, you know, Your Honor, this is why I shouldn't have this ticket. There's no opportunity to really present your defense. You can either, you know, plead guilty or no contest, or you can decide to go to trial, but that drags everything out, has the potential to, you know, cost more money. Nobody's going to hire an attorney to fight a $250 fee. Mm -hmm. So what we really see is just, you know, kind of an assembly line of people going in and paying and pleading and moving on out. And so, you know, there's no wonder that people think that this, you know, might be a little bit of a racket rather than truly, you know, in their best interest. How about Robin Gomez, city manager of Clarkston, said we've seen improvement down from 25 percent to nine or 10 percent of city revenues. How does that stack up to what you feel is the ideal balance of city fees and revenues? It's, it's definitely an improvement. Um, you know, going the percentage moving down is always a good thing. But let's not forget that during the time that we observed, similar cities were only getting about 3% from fines and fees. And so while this is better, 10% is still quite a lot of money. Um, and even post-2012, uh, after the peak of these fines and fees, our three cities uh, still had um, fines and fees be their second largest source of revenue. And so it's hard to, you know, draw a line between what is the correct percentage or what is the, you know, the correct number of tickets. But it's pretty much, you know, when we see cities that, you know, fund a significant amount of their budgets through fines and fees, it's worth, you know, examining further to see what's going on. Jennifer McDonald, she is Senior Research Analyst from the Institute of Justice. Thank you for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we chat with author Margaret Wilkerson Sexton about her new novel and about discovering resilience passed down through generations and generations of black families. I'm Virginia Prescott. Stay with us for more of On Second Thought.